Warm greetings, everyone. I bring you greetings from Dr. Roderick Meredith, Mr. Richard Ames, Dr. Douglas Winnell, and all the staff here at Living Church of God headquarters in Charlotte. I hope you have all had an opportunity to feast some in the last uh, day and the last night. It's a feast day. We should feast in it, and we may use a second tithe portion for that purpose. In the first day of the seventh month, we observe a commanded assembly, and God reveals to us that the time is holy. The time of the Feast of Trumpets is a holy day, and we cease our normal weekly activities, and we come together and worship. Turn, if you would please, to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23 through 25. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 through 25. Why are we here? Why are we here? God tells us, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of the blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. And you shall do no customary work in it. Briefly, let's talk about the holy days and the things that they picture, just to catch ourselves up with where we are in God's festival season. In the first month of the year, that occurs in the spring of the year, that pictures Christ's sacrifice in our sins when we take the Passover at that time. Then the days of unleavened bread occur, beginning in the 15th day of the first month. They picture our being unleavened of sin and then staying unleavened, coming out of sin. We keep the days of unleavened bread for a week. Then after counting 50, we have the time of Pentecost, picturing the establishment of God's true church by the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then we go through the long summer months, the long summer months that um, our picture, our labor in these ages, and we come to the Feast of Trumpets, which we will talk about today, when Christ returns in power and glory and the great first resurrection occurs. Then, ten days into the Feast of Trumpets in, um, um, in that month, we observe the Day of Atonement, picturing the binding of Satan. Though when Satan is bound, it also pictures the liberation of a world held captive. And then comes the Feast of Tabernacles, picturing the kingdom of God and the thousand-year rule of Jesus Christ with his saints. The last great day pictures the great white throne judgment, the hope of all who have ever lived. It's interesting, and I always like to point this out, that God has us go through a seven-act play, as it were. We are acting out the plan of salvation. These things picture the plan of salvation, and he has us act it out so that we won't forget it. Those who have forgotten God's holy days usually forget his great plan, the great gospel of the kingdom of God. There are many lessons we can learn on this great feast day. A lot happens in it. Just to mention a few things, a great light is going to pierce the darkness of this age. Something else, God is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He tells us and gives us that picture. He's going to do it in a very dramatic fashion in this day. We have the resurrection. We have the glorification. A great deal happens in this day. But it is also the time of the birth of the sons of God, the time of the birth of the sons of God. A holy nation will be born in this day, and I would like to talk about that great birthing today. The title of today's sermon is The Birth of a Nation, and let's take a look at the wonderful picture that God has made in our own bodies and our own lives, which foreshadow the great events of this holy day, both the physical and spiritual Israel. So point number one, let's look at the national picture of the people of Israel and the nation of Israel. Turn, if you would please, to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. And this is an important biblical principle that we need to remember as we look through these things in God's Word. Let's begin in verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, 
for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, his divine nature. That word Godhead is the theotes. Literally, his divine nature can be understood by physical things. He has created those physical pictures for us to understand these things. The Godhead, uh, even his uh, eternal power in Godhead, the divine nature, so that they are without excuse. You know, some people in the world say that the Bible is a book about men, for men, written by, by men. But in fact, if you think about it, it's the story of a life of a woman, Israel. In the Old Testament, it's about her conception, her gestation, her labor and birth, her marriage. In the New Testament, it's largely the same, but it's about the conception and birth of the Israel of God, the church of God. Turn, if you would, please, to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Here, a nation is conceived when a promise is made. It, the conception of Israel, the idea of Israel begins here. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And, you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have a promise of physical Israel to come, but also all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is in Jesus Christ and in his church. Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. Genesis chapter 17 in verses 15 through 17. Ancient Israel began with the miraculous conception. Even Abraham or Abram didn't want to believe it. When he was told, verse 15, Then God said to Abraham, For Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she will be a mother of all nations. Kings of people shall come out of her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And then shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? He could hardly believe what he was hearing. Then in verse 21, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. A miraculous birth led to from Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob who became Israel. We'll go through the rest of Israel's history relating to this fairly quickly, but just to give us an idea of what we're talking about here. Jacob, renamed Israel, went into the womb of Israel. And there he and his, his descendants grew into a great nation. And then Moses came and said, Let my people go. They were held captive by Pharaoh, uh, a type of Satan, and Egypt, which is a type of sin. And then Egypt goes into a type of labor. Great plagues come over Egypt, ending with the death of their firstborn children. And Israel is then thrust out. Israel passes through the Red Sea in a type of baptism and emerges as this newborn nation on the other side, miraculously protected by God. And then she goes out to Sinai to marry her husband. A nation was born in a day. But Israel wouldn't be faithful to the promises she made. And after a tumultuous kind of marriage, it ended with the death of her husband on the cross. So we see these great pictures in the history of Israel foreshadowing even greater things to come. But Israel wouldn't be faithful. But the nation of Israel is a type of sin in the Bible. 
Let's look further in point number two. Egypt went through a kind of tribulation when they thrust Israel out. Similarly, in this world, which is Satan's, it will go through a much greater tribulation with the birth of the sons of God. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. Here we see the world going through labor pains. And Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said unto them, Do you not see these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another, which shall not be torn down. I'd like to read to you briefly from Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. We begin in, let's see, in verse 1. I had a very interesting experience. The last feast we went to was in Israel. We traveled throughout Israel. We went up onto the Temple Mount there. We got to go um, uh, by the Alaska Mosque and the great dome of the rock there. There was a lot going on. There were protests. Even explosions were heard. And after that, we went back down the, back down the Temple Mount, crossed Kidron Valley, and went up the um, Mount of Olives. It's quite a climb going up there. It's only about 1,000 meters, about a kilometer from point to point there. But when we got up on the top, we read Zechariah 14 and Matthew 24. I'd like to just begin by reading this, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and your spoil shall be divided in the midst of you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in two in the midst thereof, towards the east and towards the west. And that shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall be removed to the north and half towards the south. Let's look then at verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. Now, continue in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of this age. You know, it was a very interesting experience because when we stood up there and sat up there on the top of the Mount of Olives looking across towards the Temple Mount, across Kidron Valley, we could not help but think of that same question. My mind was flooded with thoughts of what will it be like when Christ stands in that very place, when his feet stand on the Mount of Olives, and he and his saints will look across that valley towards the Temple Mount. I've often wondered if Christ took his disciples up that mountain because they were going to say the same thing and ask the same question. And they did. Tell us when these, will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. They're talking about that great day of the Feast of Trumpets, what it pictures. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing wars of rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, your King James Version may say travail or something like that, but in the Greek, it is a word that means pangs of birth, labor pangs. 
If you want to read more about the details of these labor pangs, turn to Revelation chapter 8, and it gives a good idea of what these things are going to be like. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> more on the story of this labor and delivery, these birth pangs. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything uh, to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child. They shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day, and not of night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober, spiritually alert, spiritually awake, watching, watching. And that's one of the things that we do here in this church and what we do in this work. We are watching world events, and we are seeing how this prophetic narrative is being played out, and we report it to the world. We're keeping a close eye on these things. Turn to Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> verses 18 through 23, and verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, and 29. <clears throat> For I reckon that the sufferings of this day, of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. And we know that that will be like a birth. For the creature or the creation is made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. For the creature, or the creation itself, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Brethren, this is a world held captive. We are in Satan's evil world. We're in it, but not of it. And when he is put down in the times that these fall holy days picture, then the world will have a great liberation, a great liberation from a world held captive. An interesting thing occurs. An interesting thing occurs. Turn to Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 13. Isaiah chapter 13 and verses 6 through 13. Can you imagine a man going into labor? <laughs> well, something like it's going to happen. Beginning in verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. <clears throat> Turn also to Jeremiah 30, verses 4 through 7. Jeremiah chapter 4, or rather 30. Verses 4 through 7. Once again, this is mentioned in the Bible. It's going to be quite an event when this occurs. This will be seen on the earth when all of these events happen. Verse 4. These are the words of the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Christ, cries of fear are heard. Terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Every face turned to deathly pale. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob. That's the tribulation. That's physical Israel, wherever they are. But he will be saved out of it. After Israel made their escape from Egypt by the strong hand of Christ, there was great joy among the people. 
And Moses gave the song of Moses and his joy of being free of the bondage that they endured. And you know, each one of us has come out of our own spiritual Israel. You know, if you were in the world, you did not keep the Sabbath. And Israel had lost the Sabbath while they were in Israel, at Egypt rather. It had to be reestablished. We read about that in Deuteronomy 16 with the manna. God showed them where the, uh, where the Sabbath was and commanded them to keep it. Each of us came out of our own spiritual Egypt. And Christ brought us out of it, sometimes with a mighty hand intervening in our lives. But sometimes Satan also pursues you. If you're just coming out of your spiritual Egypt, chances are Satan will pursue you just like Pharaoh pursued Moses and Israel. But count on God and Christ working with you and in you. And he will bring you through. And there will be great joy in heaven and earth upon the ultimate birth of the sons of God. Point number three, God has put a picture in us physically of what is to happen in his plan. It's part of a woman's body and it's literally encoded in her DNA, just as God's plan for humanity was set from the foundation of the world. Turn please to John chapter 6, verses 19 through 22. Well, verse 20, we'll begin in verse 20 of John Chapter 16, verses 20. It begins, So I tell you the truth. Will you weep and mourn while the world rejoices? You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. You know, we've had four children, two girls and two boys, and I've been there for the births of each one. Uh, Went through the whole thing with my wife, with her pregnancy, the labor, the delivery. I was always there with her. If you ever have a chance to uh, be there, by all means, young men, be there for the birth of your children. It's something that you will never forget. But it's very much like our experience in the birth of the sons of God when all of these things occur. You women have had, uh, who have had children know how it is mentally when you're pregnant. And perhaps it's very much like our own experience was with my wife and me. You know, you know that the date is coming. You know you set it at 40 weeks out, so you have a, a date set in the future for the birth and delivery. But... The pregnancy just seems to go on and on and on. At least it did for us. You set a date, but you know that you don't actually know what what the specific date is. You just know a general time frame when this is likely to happen. And this is expressed in Matthew 15 and verse 13. Matthew 15 and 13, I'll just read it. It says, watch therefore, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. When the Son of Man comes, that's the time of the birth of the sons of God. And maybe you said, you know, I'll be this way forever. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of being ready. And it's very much like it is in this age. There are signs that make you wonder where you are in the process. Uh, We wonder where we are in the process of God's plan of the end of this age. It was that way for us with the child, too. There might be kicks, there might be contractions, there might be even false labor. We experience those things. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8. It said, Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. And you know, that's the way it is. We're waiting, we're watching, we're seeing the wars and the rumors of wars. Things are accelerating. We see the prophetic events coming. It's almost as if the stage is set, and the actors are on it. They just haven't begun speaking. 
Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We read this before. All of these are the beginning of birth pangs. Just the beginning. Just as though a woman's delivery, her, at the end of her pregnancy, things start up slowly. Perhaps you're anxious to get it over with. Maybe you're saying, I'm, I want the tribulation to come on. I want to see these things happen. But you're not looking forward to the process because you will know it will be a terrible trial for everyone who comes on the earth. And we're that way about the tribulation. And perhaps you want in, uh, the um, Christ to go ahead and come early, but you know what must precede it. But we know that there will be protection for some, and we can always pray, Thy kingdom come. Well, with the pregnancy, sometimes dates are missed. Dates are missed. I remember telling my wife and our fourth child, Wow, look at the size of this guy. This will never go beyond December 21. <laughs> well, he did. He went to December 31. Ten days later, I was only half joking when I said to her, You know, you on December 31, the last day of the year, you've got to get going here. I'm going to miss my tax deduction. Believe it or not, she did. And our fourth child was born on December 31 in the evening of, um, um, of New Year's Eve. Back in the 1960s and 70s, we tried to name some dates. Perhaps some of you remember that. But we learned that when God says you don't know the day and the hour, he means it. When it comes, it comes. And Dr. Meredith has talked recently about the general time frame that we are in now. And we pay close attention to that because we need to do that in order to watch. We are told, watch, watch. But we keep an eye on it, but we only have brackets. Dr. Meredith only gives us brackets, not specific times that this is going to occur. We have a general idea of the times that we're in. And we believe that we are in the times leading up to the Great Tribulation and the end times. And like the Tribulation, when labor comes, it comes. Now, your experience may have been different, but for the first time, Mom, it usually begins rather slowly. It did uh, for my wife. I remember that. The contractions seemed very manageable. But then they get stronger and stronger and longer and longer. But, you know, a woman may say, hey, this is okay. I can handle this. But active labor becomes difficult. And it builds and builds. You realize, as your wife perhaps did, or my wife did, that your body is not under your control if you're a woman in labor. You're it's running on its own program. And the world will be that way too. There's nothing uh, that it will be able to do about what is happening to it. This is a program that God has established from ancient times, the Great Tribulation and the Day of the Lord. Then in labor, when it comes to the transition phase, it's very difficult than the final delivery and joy that a baby is born into the world. Well, the experience of the world will be very much like that when the sons of God are born. Turn, if you would, please, to Isaiah 66, verses 7 through 10, and verse 23. Isaiah 66, verse 7 through 10, and verse 23. This is a good chapter to read completely. But we'll only read a few parts of it. <clears throat> Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Referring to Israel in Christ. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth, and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth, and shut the womb, saith your God? Rejoice, ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her. 
All ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her, all you that mourn for her. Verse 23. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass that from one new, new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. That will be in God's great millennial Sabbath, when all flesh will be keeping the Sabbath and will know about it. The whole world is going to go into labor just before the great event that this Feast of Trumpets pictures. And God will bring his church to that event without fail, to the glorious birth of a nation, the birth of the sons of God. <clears throat> Point number four. We talked about what will happen to this world in the day that the Feast of Trumpets pictures. But what will it be like for you? Here are a few examples as we can remember about this great day. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. John chapter 3, and verses 1 through 8. One of the things that you're going to experience is a spirit body. A spirit body. Now, right now, I have a physical body, and I'm afraid it's getting older and older. But I'm looking forward to the day when this scripture is realized. Verse 3, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of the Spirit. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I am flesh now, you are flesh now, you are not yet a spirit. And those who think that they are born again, well, I remember Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong used to have a saying. He would say, get me a pen and I will show you whether you are born again. And stick you with it, and if you say, ouch, you are not born of the Spirit yet. When it says born of the Spirit, it means what it says. It means what it says. Verse 7. Do not marvel that I said unto you, you must be born again. What will you be like? Verse 8 tells, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Of spirit, spiritual bodies. Okay, well, that's one thing we'll know that you'll be like. How about something else? John 17, verse 5. John 17, verse 5. You will be glorious. Glorious. The spirit bodies that we will be given will have great glory to them. Now, Christ had glory with the Father before the creation of the cosmos. Verse 5. Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world, before the cosmos, all things, was. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Wow, what a promise. What an extraordinary statement. How are a father and son one? Well, I've got two sons and two daughters. How are we one? As a family, of course. It's not a question of whether there is one God, but how. The oneness of God is the oneness of a divine, glorified family which we can enter. And I'm reading the scriptures now that tell you what you will be like upon entering that family. Let's look at Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 17 and verses 1 through 6. This is the transfiguration <coughs> where some of the disciples saw a great uh, vision 
of what will happen. Verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, <clears throat> and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. That's what the transfiguration will be like, what Christ is like. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. <clears throat> Turn to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4. More about this subject. This is taught carefully in the New Testament. Beginning in verse 1. Then, if you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Because he is there in his glory, but he is coming in his glory and bringing it for us. This is verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That is a great promise, and you will be like him when that happens. One of the things which occurs in the Feast of Trumpets Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Here is more on this great promise of what we will be like at this transformation when we are made spirit. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. We will be like him. Like Jesus Christ. Brethren, nothing profaned by sin can have this, can enter the kingdom of God. Nothing profaned by sin can put on this immortality that he has for us. Because the family of God is holy and set apart. And nothing profane can be a part of it. <clears throat> Indeed, the wages of sin are death. The wages of sin is death. Because nothing can enter that family that is profaned by sin. The flesh will always die. But we must be holy in order to be resurrected to this immortality and to put on this body. Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. You have ears to hear. God has opened your mind to these things. It is a miraculous thing that God has given you. And we should think of this as a great miracle. You know, if you try to tell these things to other people, what will they say? Won't understand. They won't be able to understand. They'll think this is all foolishness to them. But you understand because first God worked with you, and then upon baptism, his uh, spirit works in you to transform us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Luke 24, verse 28. Luke chapter 24. Um, make it verse, to verse 35. Even though we have these glorious spiritual bodies, we will still be able to fellowship, even with people who have not uh, put on this immortality yet. Even eat food, just as fleshly people do. Beginning in verse 28 of Luke chapter 24. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. 
and he went to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. Speaking of Christ, and they, he vanished from their sight. And he said to one another, that our heart not burn within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us. You know, you will not only be able to eat, but you will be able to speak and teach. We'll be able to have people's hearts burn within them as you teach them God's truth and open their minds in a world without Satan, a world set free, once held captive, now freed. Verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told him about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. <clears throat> Turn to Romans chapter 2 and verse 7. Romans chapter 2 and verse 7. Something else you will be is immortal. Immortal. He is able, in Romans chapter 2, to give eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality. You're seeking immortality now, brother, and you don't have it. And that's one of the great mental roadblocks, doctrinal roadblocks that the world has. They think they're immortal already. They think that they have an immortal soul in their body that goes on living after them. And it blocks their understanding of so many things, particularly with regard to the plan of salvation. But you seek glory. You're seeking the honor of the family of God. And you're seeking immortality. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 44 through 55. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 44 through 55. A familiar chapter, one we love to read on the Feast of Trumpets. Beginning in verse 44, it is sown a natural body as is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The second, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Who is the second Adam? It's Jesus Christ. And we are going to follow after him. He is the firstborn of many people, many brethren. Verse 46. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also is those who are made of dust. And, is the, uh, and, and as is the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. For as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly, the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the last trumpet, the one that announces the birth of the sons of God. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Immortality is something that you put on, that God has for us, that Christ brings when he comes. We don't have it now. And it's very important to understand that. And those who don't understand it cannot understand so many other things. It is a doctrinal roadblock that Satan has put in the place for the world. Verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Something else that we will have at that time is power. Power. 
Turn, if you would, please, to Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. Not only will you have glory, you will have power as well. For our citizenship is in heaven from which, from which, we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Think about that body that he has now. Now, he is far greater in authority and power than we will be. He is able to subdue all things by the power of this body that he has. He is the firstborn of many, and he will give these things to us as well, a place for us. And we will be conformed to his glorious body. We will have a body like his. Revelation chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Revelation chapter 3, and verses 21 and 22. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. Christ currently sits with his Father in his throne at the Father's right hand. And the Father has given Jesus Christ all power and all authority in heaven and earth as vir by virtue of sitting with the Father in his throne. But when Christ comes, he will sit on the throne of David his throne, and he will allow us to sit, so to speak, in that throne with him, sharing in his power and in his authority. Verse 22, Revelation 3, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do we hear that? Do we appreciate that? Do we understand the great plan, the great events that, the day, the, that this day, the Feast of Trumpets, pictures for us, for the church, and for the world. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. A little more on that subject. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth, or a kingdom of priests, of the order of Melchizedek, shall reign on the earth, not in heaven, not off on some faraway distant cloud somewhere, but when Christ reigns on the earth, his resurrected brethren will also reign with him. Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Turn back a few pages, once again on this subject. To him who loved us, and washed us from our sins with his own blood, that which was pictured by the Passover. Verse 6, And has made us kings and priests to his Father, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We say amen to that. He washed us because he loved us and took our sins from us, and made it possible for us to be made holy by the indwelling of his Spirit. And he then lives in us, Christ living in us, making it possible for us to overcome, to stay out of sin. Then he brings us through the long days of our lives, perhaps we die and are buried, or, but when he comes, we are resurrected or transformed at that time. And makes us kings and priests to his God and Father. Glory and dominion forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. More that he pictures and tells us what's going to be like. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. Then I saw the souls of those that had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. You know, people used to wonder about the scriptures. People beheaded at the end times? But we're seeing these things. 
We're seeing these things happen. On the news, we see them happen. Verse 5, But the rest of the dead did not live again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, referring to um, the resurrection at the beginning of the thousand years. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and shall reign with him a thousand years. The world will go through a great trial, like a great worldwide labor. The world enters this great labor, such as it has never experienced. It will be even far worse than Egypt went through in the labor for the birth of physical Israel. It will result in the birth of the immortal, glorified bride of Christ. And the world will be freed from its captivity and will enter the joy of the worldwide rule of the kingdom of God. Is that good news? It's good news indeed. It's the good news that we preach to the world, brethren. It's important that we do. One of the things that we remember in this Feast of Trumpets is this exciting truth that we will become the sons of God and what we will become on this day in the future, hopefully the near future, glorified with inherent eternal life like Jesus Christ. Turn to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. More on this subject, powerfully told by God through Daniel. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Now there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone that is found written in the book, referring to the book of life. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's your future, brethren. And that future begins on this holy day with the sound of a great trumpet with your birth into the glorious God family.